We have Delmas Hernandez. Delmas is a PhD candidate in the Department of Chemistry and she focuses in organic chemistry. Yes, yeah. Okay. yeah. Thank okay. you. Okay, so um, today I'll just be talking uh, to you guys about um, some medicinal chemistry principles and um, the way I use these principles. Um, so first things first. Um, so I got my uh, BA in chemistry at Drew University in 2016. And then right after that, I came here uh, to Purdue. I'm currently pursuing a PhD in chemistry. And my current research is on the synthesis of small molecule inhibitors for disease-related kinases. <clears throat> and so after hearing that, you're probably wondering uh, what kinases are. So kinases are a type of protein that catalyze, so catalyzes accelerate a reaction. So kinases um, transfer a phosphate group, oops, a phosphate group from ATP, so your energy source, right, to a key residue such as a tyrosine, threonine, or serine, which is an amino acid that makes up the protein structure. Um, so think about it here. If this is like <clears throat> your kinase, um, tyrosine, threonine, or serine all have a hydroxyl group. Um, and so it's just uh, phosphorylating that phosphate group, if, that, if this schematic helps at all. Um, so basically, why we're interested in um, inhibiting kinases, uh, we're interested in inhibiting kinases that are related uh, to, to certain diseases or, or cancers in my case. So some kinases that are mutated are said to be always on. So um, if they don't turn off, they're constantly phosphorylating, um, phosphorylating downstream kinases. So think of it as a signal. So the signal keeps going. Um, and basically um, what happens is it keeps replicating these genes and then it contributes to the growth of these cancerous cells. So when yeah. you say inhibit a kinase, what uh -huh. do you mean? What does that mean? So it means that, um, so there's uh, broad different types of uh, kinase inhibitors, but we usually work with active site inhibitors. So um, if you inhibit the kinase, it means ATP can't bind. So if ATP can't bind, you can't phosphorylate um, a certain residue, and so the signal doesn't keep going off, uh, keep uh, transferring down under. Does that make sense? I think so. And when you yeah. said when with phosphorylate, is that mm -hmm. when you're you're taking that hydroxyl group off and adding a phosphate? Yeah, yeah. So you add a, a phosphate group. Add yeah. a phosphate group. Okay. Yes. Um, what type of cancer? I mean, is this? Um, because it seems like I've heard a lot of different types of cancers. Yeah. Is there so, a particular type in general, or is it just looking at the process of how a, a cancerous cell in general might form? So um, it has to do with it's um, kinases are important in a wide variety of cancers. Um, so there's over 500 protein kinases, um, and um, there's usually, uh, when they do, uh, so for example, in AML, um, we know that fleet three kinase is important for it. Um, 
And then there's a lot of different uh, kinases that are also important uh, to inhibit. So um, I think um, kinases, they're very broad and usually they show up in a, a wide variety of cancers. Okay. So, yeah. Um, it, it, that's what I was, I was kind of having a feeling of, but I didn't want to take the assumption. I wanted to. I wanted oh, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. like, oh, it's just this one type of cancer. What do you think, Stephen? It happens. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a, uh, yeah, but it's different, different kinases play a role in different cancers. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Yes. Um, so, I want to uh, talk about medicinal chemistry and what it is. So it's a discipline in which you synthesize or make new molecules and you evaluate these uh, molecules for a clinical purpose. Um, so once you find an active molecule, you found a lead molecule. Um, and so you improve the lead, then you'll have a drug candidate. It goes to preclinical and then clinical. Um, so let's just explain this quickly. Um, but first, before we talk about what a lead structure is, um, we can talk about the skeletal structure of compounds. So everyone's familiar with hand sanitizer now. So ethyl alcohol, um, this is the structure of ethyl alcohol. So each um, point, I don't know if you guys can see my mouse, can you? Uh, we okay. turn, there's also the audio part of the podcast, so you will still have to kind of explain what we're seeing because they won't see the visuals. Oh, okay, yeah. So each point um, is a is a carbon. So ethyl alcohol has two carbons. Um, isopropanol has three carbons. So one, two, three. Um, so that's just a quick schematic. Uh, or representation of what uh, the skeletal structure of compounds look like. Um, so when you're identifying a lead, you basically wanna make drastically different uh, compounds. So the reason you're doing this is because you want to explore the chemical space. Um, you don't wanna make closely related compounds because if you do happen to find a lead compound, they're, they're all pretty, um, they all pretty exhibit pretty similar biological activity because their structure is similar. Um, so once you do biological evaluation, that's, um, for us, we do a phenotypic screen. Um, so we test it on a certain cancer cell line or something like that. And let's say we find this compound is active against cancer A. So is this ready for preclinical evaluation, no, uh, this is your lead molecule. So now you wanna try to optimize the structure. Um, so that's when you start a structure activity relationship. So also uh, called SAR. So in an SAR, what you're doing is you're trying to identify what part of a ring or structure is necessary and unnecessary. Because the bigger the molecule, the harder it is for your body to absorb it. Um, usually we have a few principles of um, the molecular weight should be under 500. Um, and there's other factors that I'll go into, but basically you wanna see whether this hydroxyl is even important. So you make an analog without a hydroxyl, right? Um, 
And then and you're talking about a structure like the actual like single compound that's yes that that was the hit yes yeah and when you yeah. say the ring structure now what's that what's the ring structure oh okay um so let's say I guess what I mean by that is most most drugs are going to be bigger than what you see on the screen now um so what I mean by that is let's say your compound has three three total uh, ring structures so um uh, these rings, right? And are those, um, those are carbons still? Yes. Looking yes. That up. So this, this looks like a five carbon ring. Oh, so five. It looks like a. Yes. So like a. Um, like a cyclo. Cyclopentane. I don't know. Uh, like a, uh, yeah. And then six membered rings, like, like a hexagon, mm -hmm. I guess. Yes. Um, so if you have um, fused rings or non-fused rings, you want to uh, remove one at a time. So if you had three, you would probably make an analog with just two of the rings present. And so you, cause you want to see whether that ring is necessary. So what you're testing is whether this compound will still bind to the kinase, um, even if you're uh, removing parts of the compound. So is this compound, is this part of the compound important and leading uh, to binding because of it, or is it not important and it's just uh, maybe in the uh, solvent, and so it's just solubilizing something. Mm -hmm. So that that's what you're trying to figure out. Um, so here, uh, a brief explanation of a, a structure activity relationship. It's helpful in determining whether a part of the molecule is required and what biological response a certain part of the molecule is responsible for. So I think I made this mistake a few times uh, when I first started off um, and I would make two changes at a time and then they're just like, no, cause now you can't determine what, what uh, the molecule is actually doing. Like, is it better because of this change or that change? So I've, I've made that mistake where I'm just like, oh, I'll just change two things at a time. Um, but um, well, not I, the best. I think that's really important that you say that because I think that gets back to, I mean, even really young kids when they're going through labs for the first time and they're talking about variables and um, oh, yeah. like the controlled variable and then the, um, the responding variable and, and, you know, which one that you're really careful to identify which one it is you're changing. I think that's, yeah. that's a really important thing to mention. And I love that you're mentioning it because, I mean, yourself, uh, you, you, we talk about a scientist talking about uh, doing multiple ones and then we're like, oh, wait, wait, I can't do that because oftentimes it's hard for us to identify when we're setting up an experiment. Oh, I did change more than one thing and to look at yeah. where are all my possible variables. And I, I like the, the fact that you admit that, oh, yeah, we've done that a few times, realized, oops, I have to go back and look at that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, a human being. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it happens. Um, especially, I, I feel like, especially when you're first starting off, you're just like, oh, this just seemed uh, like a good molecule to make. Um, because also, I mean, in an SAR, you're also changing groups that may negatively impact the uptake of a compound. So what that means is, for example, take this hydroxyl group. Hydroxyl groups are rarely found in drugs. Um, and um, 
the reason why is because um, usually they go through phase one or phase two metabolism and then they're excreted from your body immediately. So having polar groups in your compound uh, doesn't really benefit the uptake of it. So usually people will substitute it with ethers. So instead of having an OH, you'll have an OCH3. Um, and so now it can't, uh, you can't just add. So basically you just add on another polar substance. So these hydroxyl groups will sometimes be transformed into phosphate groups. Um, and then they'll just be taken out of your body, um, which is why you see some of these um, analogs that I picture here would be a little bit more nonpolar groups. Um, but also it's important to state that some substitutions are uh, vital um, just because um, there's points where you can, um, like if this was an aromatic compound, um, some compounds um, can have uh, metabolism by removing the proton too. So that substitution is sometimes vital. And so you'll use fluorines also, if that makes sense. Yeah. Can you say, is there a difference between like ring structures, like what you're showing and aromatic compounds? Yeah, so an aromatic compound would be more, um, I guess, um, so if you think about it, um, a ring structure uh, that is um, unsaturated, their carbons are SP, sp3, mm -hmm. so they have um, four things attached to it. Um, and then in an aromatic compound, aromatic compounds are usually planar, and so they're sp2, and so they only have three things attached to it. Um, I think it's important that um, most aromatic or all aromatic compounds are usually planar, um, so that's also problematic in a lot of compounds you make, because um, you want to add some sp3 character to your compounds too. Um, because if they're uh, fully planar, they can interact with your DNA and we wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah. So, and you're saying that fully planar is associated with those aromatic compounds with that SP2 hybridization. Yes. And at that point it's, it can, it can affect your DNA. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, there's always a goal of, we will have some air of a few aromatic compounds and the, or aromatic rings, and then you'll add some um, aliphatic portion to uh, add some sp3 character. So that's what we always say, you add some sp3 character to it, um, just to make sure it's not fully planar, you know? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but also importantly, um, not everything that is um, that shows up as active in your phenotypic screen is actually a good feed molecule. Um, and so what I mean by that is um, some chemical compounds often give false positive results um, in high throughput screens. So basically they just react with everything. They might react with um, like some of the components of your assay, um, just the metals in your assay, it doesn't actually mean that they're active. Um, I think a few people have 
um, have um, spent time uh, trying to develop uh, these compounds. And so the, we refer to them as pains. So panassay interference, uh, interference compounds. Um, and so people have spent time trying to optimize these pains and then they figure out that this is just binding to everything and it's, it's just a false positive. And how, yeah. at what point, how far into your research would you be that you would finally realize, I mean, is it pretty far or is it, is it just like a couple of weeks or are you like really invested? And so it's, it's really frustrating. I don't know. My advisor said, um, I took his course once and he said he spent like a few years sometime uh, once uh, trying to optimize a pain molecule before they realized it was a pain molecule. So I imagine it takes a while. Um, I guess because in our lab, we usually do phenotypic screens. Um, and so I imagine that um, if you test it against a bunch of cancer cell lines, you're just like, oh, this molecule is great. It's active against all cancer cell lines. Um, and I've, I've seen that before too. And um, now whenever I see a compound being active against various cancer lines, I'm just like, oh, this compound doesn't have selectivity. Is it just toxic against all cells? Um, and so that's when you would do, you would test your compound against like, uh, a human cell line, a normal cell line. Mm -hmm. um, and you want to see if it'll kill the, that cell line uh, to make sure that it's just not toxic against everything. So if it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't really think you'll find a compound that's active against all cancers, in, in my opinion. But yeah. But yeah. Um, so that regrettably happens uh, sometimes. And there's a lot of articles now being published about these pains and like review articles so that, um, you know, we are, um, we know about these and they give uh, the structures of a lot of common pains too, so that they make sure you, you're not spending your time trying to do that anymore. Yeah, I'd love to hear that from you uh, because that, that's, I mean, first of all, it's like, yes, sometimes you'll spend, you can spend a couple of years developing something, still be excited and then find out it, it's just not what you thought it was. And so it's science doesn't happen. <laughs> it's not that we we're always right right away and stuff. And we know that. And then I also love that you just mentioned that, that uh, people publish papers when you come up with something, whether it was a success or a failure, uh, oh, yeah. your goal you publish those papers and so other people can build off of that and hopefully not uh, lose their time also but we can move oh, yeah. forward as a society in making uh, our lives even better yeah <laughs> that's true uh, yeah okay um okay so this was a brief overview of the lead optimization, structure activity relationship design, and the pains. And so these are just a few of the um, tools I use as a, a medicinal chemist uh, to help me in my research. Um, so if you guys do have any questions, I'd love to answer anything. Okay. I, one thing I wanted to ask about the, you had mentioned several times a phenotypic screen. Oh. Yes. And 
what, because I know, like, I remember from biology hearing about like phenotypes and I think it was genotypes, but it's been a really long time, Yeah. but is that the same kind of thing? And, and what is the screen? I just wanted to be clear on what the screen is done on. Is it done on like a human or is it done on the, like a cancer cell? Usually we do it on a cancerous cell. So, um, yeah, so phenotypic screens, they're, uh, our type of phenotypic screen is we do, uh, it's in vitro um, and you're testing uh, your compounds against a cancer cell line. Um, um, I know genotypic is basically, you've made a molecule and you know that it's active against this gene. Um, and so it's easy or not easy, but you know it's active against this gene. So now you wanna see if it has biological activity against uh, cancers. So in a phenotypic screen, you're screening a bunch of molecules. And so you don't actually know what it's targeting, but you're just like, ah, this is active against this cancer cell line. And so after that, you would try to figure out what it, it actually is targeting. So some um, cell lines um, or some cancers, you say that, um, that they are driven by a certain kinase. So if you do find that it's active against a certain cancer, you can test it against a certain kinase and see whether it's active against that kinase to determine whether it's um, actually active against that agent. So I think um, it's a little, phenotypic screens are a little, more time consuming because after that, you have to find out what it's actually targeting um, instead of a genotypic screen when you know what your target is, but you're unsure about its biological activity. I hope, I hope that explained it I well. So. Yeah, I think that made it more clear. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I might put you on the spot a little bit by asking this, and I'm still trying to figure out how to ask the question. So when I, when I ramble it out, it might not make sense. Mm -hmm. But um, the, um, you're using chemistry and a, a number of steps that you've, you've done a really good job explaining. I even followed most of it. Um, that's saying something. <laughs> and uh, to basically, as an end product, create a medicine that combats cancer. Mm -hmm. What type of because I, 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 I'm thinking in my head things that combat cancer so that's like a chemo type therapy or something and so are these uh, would these be classified as chemotherapies uh, uh, what are these classified as as an end for, uh, as, as the actual like uh, mm -hmm. cancer patient what is it just a medicine attacking it is it a, I don't know what chemotherapy is I guess in my head and so uh, do you know what I'm trying to ask even <laughs> Um, I think so. Um, so I think that this would be a, a chemotherapeutic, right? Um, so basically these compounds are uh, trying to stop the growth of your cancer, cancer cells. Um, and so usually in a lot of uh, chemotherapeutic regimens, you'll do... Um, you'll usually do, um, what is it called? Uh, radiation or surgical re re resection or something, but you will still continue to take a compound as well. Um, and that's just to inhibit the growth 
of these cancer cell lines or of these cancer cells. Um, so I know that. Um, so I think sometimes when you take these compounds, usually um, it's to stop their growth. Okay. Um, and usually that's how we evaluate them too. Um, we've done mouse models where um, sure they kill the cancer cells too. Um, and then the, um, they're almost left with um, little to no cancer cells left. So they will also kill the cancer cells. I think it just depends on the molecule and what it actually is doing. Okay. Um, yeah. So when I hear about like, um, I, I've had like friends and stuff who's had to go through like chemotherapy, but I've never asked too much detail. And so it sounds like the radiation side is trying to kill the cancer cells that are there. And then mm -hmm. the metal medicine side that you're working on is trying to just prohibit it from growing any further and, and stopping it. Is that what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know we do have a few compounds that will do, um, will actually uh, kill and inhibit their growth. Um, so if you take um, AML, um, so in elderly patients, elderly patients, they're, um, they have a compromised immune system. So um, harsh ther therapy is not um, a viable option for them. So um, radiation is not really uh, available to them. So taking these compounds might inhibit the growth and kill some of the cancer cell lines. So it prolongs their, their survival as well. Yeah. Um, the only tricky thing about um, small molecule inhibitors is that they're, they're, um, a lot of the cancers develop uh, resistance mechanisms. And so after a while, they become immune to these compounds. And, uh, you know, then we have to develop uh, what we call second generation inhibitors um, so that they inhibit the mutated version of this cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's that's that's several steps that you have to kind of think about at the same time don't you yeah wow. yeah well I, I i think it's so awesome that uh, you're working on this and because it, yeah. it, it, everyone has heard of everyone know i don't think there's anyone alive that knows someone who has lost someone uh, due to cancer and the fact that mm -hmm. we have people like yourself that's helping uh, working to help against that is just the most awesome thing in the world uh, before we jump, though, uh, before we jump off, I do want to go back to that timeline that you talked about real fast. I know we oh, had yeah. people in the back talk about the timeline, but uh, you were talking, uh, it, 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 it's easy, you know, two to three years um, after you get a hit, you said. And now, and a hit is just a, something that indicates um, activity. Okay. So it indicates yeah. work. It might work. Then you're looking two to three years later before we actually get to preclinical usually. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it takes longer. I think um, our lab, um, it's not a project I worked on, but our lab, um, we have a compound in preclinical evaluation. Um, and I think they want to take it into clinical trials within the next year or two. Oh. Um, but I think that the hit improvement and lead improvement took about, um, I want to say more than like five years. Oh. 
Yeah. So um, this part that says two to three years, I mean, it, it could be longer depending mm. on what your findings are. Um, but yeah. So uh, when you, it, you're the, you're the, the development side, right? We're going to medicinal <laughs> chemistry. I'm developing these things. So is it passed on to someone else when it hits preclinical? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, we wouldn't work on it. Um, usually it's like a company is investing in it or something like that. And they're doing preclinical evaluation and they're the ones who are invested in uh, taking it into clinical trials at that point. Uh, okay. And it just, yeah. it amazes me. I mean, how like uh, you're working on this, I mean, with like something it is as monumental as a, uh, a cancer drug. And uh, it's like, you're talking about your whole group, you know, is working on the first part of that. And then you send it to, and then you're of course looking at information from other scientists. Oh wait, someone else tried something like this. And it was a pain for more than one reason. Um, and the things like that. And then you're handing it to another group. Okay, we think this is working according to what we're doing. You're giving it to someone else and then for preclinical and then they'll pass probably to someone else for clinical before. So there's so much involved in the back uh, side of the medicines that we as viewers yeah. never, uh, most time we don't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fascinating how you, um, improve a compound. Um, there's like certain rules called like the essential nitrogen rule. So usually you just put a nitrogen in different positions and you just keep changing it and see whether it improves activity. And I think we found, that um, to really improve activity in one of our compounds. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm just like, wow, how does a, a small change uh, lead to such a huge uh, thing? <laughs> yeah, so I just think, I don't know, it's very fascinating, yeah. It is, yeah. I, I get what you're saying, just a little tweak like that and how it can make that big of a difference. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's just so awesome. That's so awesome. Well, thank you. This yes. was this was really cool. Um, it was wow. I didn't even realize how much we actually went into these things, and uh, to be able to mm -hmm. learn a little bit of the first part of this, understanding how you're developing things is is really really cool to be able to see. And like I said, I'm so excited that we have people like yourself that's actually working on this and studying to do this, and it's. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. <laughs>